As we look at this week, uh, we look at the fullness of life when we think about gratitude. Gratitude and living a life that is full, and one of the things that we do, of course, to show that is to be grateful. Gratitude's an essential ingredient on our journey through life. Without it, I don't think we can have true abundant life unless we are truly grateful to the one who has given us life itself. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do through our lives in the future. Open our hearts that we might be grateful every day, every moment of the day, giving thanks in everything that happens. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In Literary Digest 1923, the title to the article was this, History Knows No Disasters. It was talking about parallels between earthquake and fire that had visited Japan in that month in 1923 of September. It had laid waste to the capital and the chief seaport there in Japan. Uh, New York Tribune called it an earthquake that undoubtedly was one of the greatest disasters in recorded time. New York Times described the havoc that had happened because of all the disaster. 45,000 square miles uh, were destroyed. Over 7 million people were displaced. You read dispatches and letters at the time, and it talked about almost every building in Yokohama was destroyed. Almost three-quarters of Tokyo was burned, and the entire city, with its five million inhabitants, also being scattered because of the earthquake. Uh, at the time, a joint survey made by Herbert Hoover and the Red Cross estimated that the dead was over 300,000, with 2.5 million people homeless. Disease, despair, anything that you can imagine would happen after a disaster of that like was going through the island empire. But then help came. Help from America. Now, it seems strange now, but at the time, Japan was helpless. And so we helped them. Food, clothing, medical supplies, volunteers. Uh, Workers came by the shipload to help rebuild Japan. The American Red Cross collected $10 million from the people of the United States. And this was $19.23, folks. Imagine what it would be today. They helped the Nipponese, which is what the Japan called themselves. Those who lived through the awful earthquake and the tremors, the gigantic waves that happened, the tongues of fire that made all the buildings perish, the starvation, the disease. They said they would remember. We will remember what America did through our suffering and hunger. At the time, the Japan people, the Nipponese, were grateful. They, they even, uh, in their writings, corresponded those words, Japan will never forget. Sounds kind of like the Alamo, right? But Japan did forget, didn't they? American ships of mercy were forgotten. The rising sun sent planes of destruction on December 7, 1941. Japan airplanes brought death and destruction to Pearl Harbor. And the rising sun proclaimed that America, brought to her knees, would beg 
for mercy. But are the Japanese the only ones who've overlooked past mercies? I don't think so. Long ago, the Lord said of Israel, My people have forgotten me, my days without number. God blessed them, but they forgot God. I think when we come to the story that we'll look at today in Luke chapter 17, of the ten men that were healed of leprosy, you find the same thing. You find the same issue of people who have forgotten God. We live in a nation that seems to have forgotten God. We had called ourselves a Christian nation for many years. I don't know that we can do that now. Historically, we may be, but actually, functionally, in this day and time, are we really living as a Christian nation? I'm not sure we can say that. There is this story in the Bible that ends with a shocking line as we read that text, and we wonder what it means. I'll get to that in just a minute. But if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 if you stand in honor of reading God's word now on his way to Jerusalem verse 11 Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee as he was going into a village 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice Jesus master have pity on us when he saw them he said go and show yourself to the priest and they went and they were cleansed one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all clean, ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, here's the phrase, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Thank you. You may be seated. In other versions, you read the words that go something like this in ESV. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go your way. The NCV says, stand up and go on your way. You were healed because of what you believed. The New Living Translation says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. I think upon reading that, we can't but wonder what the man was he not healed before? I mean, I mean, obviously he saw himself healed, but what is Jesus talking about? What about the others? Were they unhealed in some way? I mean, Jesus said the ten were healed, and yet he said this to this man. I think we can question something. Maybe was the healing not permanent? Was it dependent upon him coming back and saying thanks? It doesn't really say in the text. Did Jesus only offer a temporary physical healing? Is Jesus speaking of physical healing or spiritual healing or something connected? Or is Jesus just implying healing is not a one-step process? I think in order to understand this passage and to think of the word gratitude and our sermon title, In Fullness of Life, you have to jump back a few verses. As you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the word charis, and the word eucharisto, which has in the very center of that word the word charis again. 
You, as you know, in, in, it means good, something good. If you talk about a eulogy, it's speaking good about someone at their funeral. You, and then charis, again, that idea of thanksgiving. Speaking good words of thanks. We read that in verse 15. One of them, when he saw it was healed, turned back, praising God. And he fell on his face, giving Eucharisto, words of thanks, good words of thanks. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not the ten cleansed. Where are the nine? I think Jesus is shocked when, when only one out of ten returns to offer Eucharisto. Thanks. Thanks to God. Because of his grace. That's the word charis. That's what charis means, grace. But connected in that word again, it's giving thanks for something. Why didn't the others do the same? I mean, they were healed. Remember, they, they cried from a distance. You, you couldn't come up on somebody if you, if you had leprosy. You had to announce yourself. I, I'm a leper. I'm coming up on you. You know, warning, warning. And that's what they did. They cried from a distance, it said. And yet this one came and fell at the feet of Jesus now. You know, uh, the, the process was you had to go to the priest and be cleansed by the priest. And then you were said to be clean and you could go back into your life and do all the things you had done before. Up until that time, you weren't supposed to come close to anybody. But his thanksgiving was so overwhelming that he approached Jesus, even though he had not been officially said to be clean yet, to give him thanks. It overwhelmed him so much. I think the answer is found once again in our special word, Eucharisto. There was only one leper who fully received God's grace and then offered it back to God with thanksgiving and praise. I think he accepted that free gift of charis, grace, and then he freely offered it back to God. I think it's a picture of you and, and me. That God has has spread grace over us. He has forgiven us in Jesus. He's extended his grace to us. And now what would be the response we should give except thanksgiving and praise to God? And everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's about thanksgiving, gratitude. The Bible's filled with the word charis, eucharisto, eucharisto, grace, grace, and more grace. You read through the New Testament's there over and over again. One leper returns to Jesus and expresses it. Nine others said nothing, and in return, I think the other nine missed out on true healing, salvation. I, I mean, he was healed physically. They were healed physically. But I think the one that came back understood who Jesus was, gave thanks, and received the true healing, salvation, forgiveness. Isn't that what Jesus said to some of those? Your, your sins are forgiven. Go your way, you're what? Healed. Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And to give salvation. I think this one realized who he was and came back and gave grace. Three things I want to talk about today. Two of them may seem strange when I say them, but the first one won't. Thanksgiving is an extension of our belief in Jesus, number one. Thanksgiving is an extension of our belief in Jesus. I think what we see here in this passage, what we look at, it is a replica of other stories and teachings in the Bible. It, it, it gives us a, 
an insight into the theology of the grace that God gives. This practice of receiving God's grace, belief in him because of what he's done, that receiving the charis, the grace of God, and then understanding who Jesus is and giving thanks because of it. We see these, these uh, lepers, they're healed. They see their healing, they feel their healing, they believe their healing, they go and show it to the priest, but instead of showing their belief in Jesus, for Jesus, who he is in himself, they show it to others without so much as a thank you. Look, I'm healed, look at what happened, isn't it wonderful? But they don't mention Jesus, they don't go back to Jesus, except for the one But one leper gets it. He turns back. He falls on his knees. He confesses his belief in Jesus. And through thanksgiving and praise, I think he shows that Jesus has given him grace and he received it. This leper not only believed he is healed, he received the healing. But his actions, I think he believes in whom healed him. Jesus. Thanksgiving is an extension of our belief in Jesus. We thank God for who he is. We recognize where everything comes from. We see in our lives the things that we have been given, the attitudes that surround us, the joy that we have in us that bubbles and springs up, and we can thank God for that. It's an extension of our belief. His thanksgiving for his healing was a confession and an affirmation in his belief in Jesus is yours. What do you see thanksgiving being? There's a gentleman named Macaulay. And a number of years ago, his his family was arguing. Uh, his mother and father had divorced and he was in the city and, you know, they were arguing to each other and, and he just, I can't, I can't imagine going to one house. If I go to one house, they're going to talk about the other house. If I go to this house, they're going to talk about the other house. If I go to both houses, I'll have to listen to both people argue about the fact of how bad the other person is. And he just couldn't imagine going to Thanksgiving dinner with these two disparate family pieces. But he wanted to have Thanksgiving and he felt alone. So he got the idea, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll put in the newspaper an invitation for Thanksgiving. And so in 1985, he did that. He put in the paper an invitation to come to, he had he'd got the church that he was at to let him use the church facility, and he would see how many people came. That first year, 12 people came. Some of them uh, were homeless. Some of them were, you know, college students who couldn't go home. Others were older people who had lived inside nursing homes and other facilities, and their family was gone or had ignored them. And so 12 people showed up that first year, and they gave thanks. They talked about what they were thankful for. So it started a tradition, and it got larger and larger and larger One year, a lady paid $200 to the local ambulance service to bring her from the nursing home to the dinner because she didn't want to miss because it was the event for her for the year. What it made her think about in being thankful. She dressed up to the nines and got into the ambulance and laid down on the little cart and they took her and they got her up and brought her in just like that. 
People would say it, 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 it made them think about God. What does your faith in Jesus make you do? What does it motivate you to do? It's an extension, or it should be, of our faith in Jesus. Number two, a lack of thanksgiving is atheism of the heart. Don't hear that word a lot in church, do you? <laughs> a lack of thanksgiving is atheism of the heart. What do I mean by that? Although I think the passage doesn't directly state that the others were not made well through their faith, uh, you know, it, uh, it's implied. The nine lepers responded with their lips. The one leper responded with his heart. You see that in New Testament, right? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then what? Then you'll be saved. You see, Jesus, in, in the discussion of the final days when we will be judged, you said, and yet I never knew you. You did, but I never knew you. You see, it's, it's here and it's here. Confession with the lips and belief in the heart. And you see that, I believe, in the one instead of the nine. The nine lepers responded with their lips, but they did not respond with their heart. They did not come back and thank Jesus. I think we tend to shy away from the word atheism. I mean, I, I, I've dealt with it in, in, in the multiple degrees that I have. I have to write papers about it, talk about it, discuss it in philosophy and theology. Atheism was just a word that was bantered around. But I think in today's church, it's an old school word that fails to resonate because it's heavy with what can be called irony. What do I mean by that? Well, the definition of atheism is to not believe in God or not believe in something. And yet, if you're an atheist, you do believe in something. <laughs> you believe that you don't believe. It's, it's a circle. It's mentally crazy when you think about it. By definition... It implies that you actually do believe in something. You believe in not believing. It's a riddle for many people. Atheism of the heart is to know of God and choose not to glorify him as God. Is that possible? Well, you and I know it's possible. The, the demons believe in God, but what? They tremble. Why? Because they don't worship in their heart. They don't thank him for who he is. They have made the decision to go against God. They don't acknowledge him. And that's what happened with these people. They didn't accept his grace, his healing, his provision, his goodness. They received it, but they never acknowledged it. I look at the world around us today and I see an atheism of the heart, don't you? I mean, people see goodness all around them, and it's like they're blind to the fact of where it comes from. They have a house to live in. They have many things to eat. They have food. They have family. They have health. And they blithely go through life unaware, at least, it seems, of where it all came from. Didn't God create it all? The Bible says he did. Does he sustain it all? The Bible says he does. Isn't he the giver of all good gifts? The Bible says he is. And yet you have a whole, at least this generation, unwilling to accept and believe in God. In fact, they seem to be so negative against us, they won't even let us be thankful. They want to shut us down. An atheistic heart 
there seems to be no obligation to show thanks to God. There may be a belief in a God, maybe, they'll say. Maybe he gives, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's there, maybe he isn't. It would be to me like recognizing a disorder of some kind, maybe boils or a skin condition or, or something that you have, and then the boils or the skin condition disappears. It's gone. And now my crippled body is great. I've received a free gift. But I don't acknowledge in my heart that healing came from somewhere. It's one of those situations sometimes where doctors say, we can't explain it. Don't you love that? We can't explain it, but we can, can't we? We know it comes from God. We talked about that. One of the words on the blanket is Rapha, healer. He's healer. A few passages tell us, I think, something else. Number three, there is a refusal of thanksgiving in an atheistic life. There is a refusal of thanksgiving in an atheistic life. And that's what the nine were living. They were denying what came to them from God. I think a few passages expound on that. Uh, one is in Romans. If you look at Romans and the Apostle Paul, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 20, we'll read 20 through 23. But you can go all the way to 32. The whole passage is talking about this, I believe. But listen to these words. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities of his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are, what? Without excuse. They're without excuse. It's, it's plainly obvious where all this comes from. I didn't make it. A golden idol didn't make it. The creator of all things made what's around us. 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave what? Thanks to him. There's that word again. There it is. But their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds and animals and reptiles. You can read on through the rest of that chapter again to 32, and you can see how ridiculous the whole thing is to deny the goodness of God. We, this world, is without excuse because it's evident all around us, what God has done. So therefore, we should be thankful, not atheistic. And yet, that's what the world is. You look around us, and predominantly, that's what we hear. I think we read that we are without excuse because of the wonders of God that we see around us to do so. I think is to choose an atheistic heart and an atheistic life. If we deny God in that way, we become believers not in God. Is that significant? I think it is. The only one that can save us is God. And if I can't believe in him, if I can't thank him, I will what? Never be saved. There's no hope for me. Except that I recognize that God is the giver of grace. 
of all good gifts. To receive God's mercies and refuse God by not thanking him, they did not honor, it said, in giving thanks. They became futile and foolish. I think their atheistic life mimics their heart. It's, you know, the Bible tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. It showed what was on the inside. They didn't believe in God. They believed in themselves and their own ability. I mean, I can't even heal myself of leprosy, and yet somebody heals me, and I can't even thank him? You see the, fool, the foolishness that's in their hearts? What a story. They chose not to receive and respond to God's grace, and they, they chose a life of sin and of pain because they didn't acknowledge the grace of God. In Romans uh, chapter 1, look at verse 24 and following. Romans 1, uh, 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Atheists accept a lie. God doesn't exist. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Uh, That's the whole point. We thank God and praise him for that. Because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned unnatural relations, the women, and were inflamed with lust for one another. Sound familiar? America, does it sound familiar? I think it does. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves to do penalty of their error. People wonder why we say that it is wrong. Well, it says right here it is. I'm sorry for those who feel offended. I wish I could say it to you in a way that didn't offend you, but I can't because this is what it says. It's wrong. Furthermore, the Bible says, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and God gave them over to a depraved mind. So what, that lifestyle is what? Depraved. People over the world are now being judged in hate speech because they dare to quote the Bible right here. See, true atheism is now taking over some countries because they deny God. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. (laughs) They look for ways to be evil, he says. What can we do now? They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. They encourage it. That's what he's saying. Wow. That's a great Thanksgiving sermon, Brother Marty. But if we don't talk about what it isn't, we can't know what it is. If we don't show the other side... And and the Apostle Paul was pretty clear, wasn't he? What the other side is and how it acts. 
Why does he even do that? Because he wants us to understand the grace of God. You take in the book of Romans from this, and he does the theology and the underpinnings, and he finally gets to how you may be saved. Look at Romans 8. Look at Romans 9. Romans 10. He lays the foundation here of a belief in God. I think these atheistic people trade their attitude for a mindset that makes them feel comfortable with their depravity. You look through these things. You know, they, they choose these sins. Let's look at some of them. Spite, pride, opportunities to participate in evil, envy, hatred, deceit, maligning people, talking evil about people, whispering, uh, that's grumbling in some translations you have, backbiting, abhorrence to God and his people and their ways. Again, America, does that sound familiar? Slander and an ability to not love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we live. Isn't it then important that you and I understand that we should be thankful? Underpin our extension of our belief in Jesus, that first point, in faith in him with thanksgiving. And make sure it's part and parcel of our lives. We know that we live a life full of gratitude, fruits of the Spirit freely flowing through us. You read in Galatians 5, and those, verse 22, who believe in Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those in the world who are atheistic in their belief have let it take free reign. The Bible says they do whatever they want. While you and I recognize we should limit it and give thanks to God for what he gives us. A believing heart has crucified the passions of the flesh. I think we find strength in giving thanks to God to overcome those distasteful things that were mentioned in Romans 1. By giving thanks to God in a daily basis, by, by giving every moment that we have to recognize all around us things to be grateful for and to thank God for, we overcome those things and we live a life full of the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we do it. Gratefulness, thankfulness drives us to God who is the one who gives us everything we need. So I ask you, to look for a moment in your life. Have any of those sins I mentioned taken root in you? It's easy to backslide. It's a word we use occasionally in church. To, to slip back to doing things, maybe whispering or grumbling or backbiting or, or talking bad about people. You understand that all those things are lumped in together as well as hatred and murder. I mean, God sees them all the same. We need to look at our lives and see if we regularly receive the grace of God and do what this one did and practice gratitude. Does your heart resemble an atheistic heart or a believing heart? Do you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit in your life and does that conscience, is it, is it a soft heart or is it, is it like it's at a dark heart? Where are you? Say, Brother Marty, should you really even be talking to us? I mean, we're in church. 
Yeah. Again, I remind you, one day Jesus will say, what? I never knew you. Remember Judas? He was with the disciples. He did everything they did. He went with them. And at no time did anyone have any clue that Judas was the one. He went out with them. He preached with them. He did healing things. He gave. He, he had the money. He was the treasurer. Nobody thought anything about him. So we need to recognize that maybe in the midst of the ten of us, a few of us might need to be grateful to God in a way we haven't been. Thankful to him. It's not limited to one event. I, I became saved and I thank God for that. It, it is a lifelong, a fullness of life activity. I live this life and I thank God every day. Think of the, the graces that God has given you and celebrate them. What he's done for this congregation, how he's helped you. Think of the names and opportunities, the births, the events, the life of events that we can celebrate, even the going home events. They give assurance that there is a place beyond this place. Isn't that what Jesus said? I go prepare a place for you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can I not celebrate that too? I thank God that pain and suffering is over for some people and that they can come to know the peace that God offers. No tears, no suffering, no pain any longer. I can celebrate that. And I can celebrate the birth of all these little grandchildren and children that are being born, right? The moments of grace that, that I see in this body that, yes, is falling apart, but God is doing things to keep us going. I can be grateful for that. Sheldon Yellen is the CEO of Belfour Holdings. He writes some 9,200 letters every year or cards. Birthday cards, Thanksgiving cards, Christmas cards. Cards to his employees to thank them a CEO thanking them, to thank them for what they've done for his company. He started it back in the 80s, writing these notes, and started with a few, and then each year it grew larger and larger and larger. It was just one event, maybe a birthday card, and then it was Christmas cards, and then it was thanks to them for individual events that they had done to make the company a success that it was. He continued the custom, he said, in a way of generating gratefulness not only in his life but in the life of his employees it's fantastic to see someone like this a leader who intentionally focuses on the people who are sometimes overlooked the employees and he gives them dignity and he underscores their lives with recognition and with the words Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. This series, as we have abbreviated it, it's been shorter, obviously, because of the way we're working. This series on gratitude, I think, should end with an active attempt in service and in gratitude. 
What is it that you can do like this person, Sheldon Yellen, to show other people thanks? What is it you can do to let them know that you're grateful? Should we thank God? Certainly. That's the whole point of this message, to be grateful to God, to be the one out of the ten that looks to God and says, thank you for what you've given me. But then I can look around and I can see others to be thankful for too. I think when I am thankful to the others around me, it builds gratitude in my heart toward God. Why? Because I can be thankful for what you've done and for what you've done and you've done and you've done. And I can see God active in your life and in my life as we come together. I pray that gratefulness will be a part of your life, that gratitude will distinguish you. There are some people that we see when they come, a lump gets in our throat, and we're going, oh boy, here we go. Because they have nothing good to say. May you be the one that people look forward to coming into their area of life. And that you see and are seen as a person who people go, I know they're going to say something good. That should be us. The Bible talks about platters of silver and apples of gold. Our words should be something like that. Thankfulness to God and to others. Gratitude in a fullness of life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you help us to be one of the ten, to be grateful for what you give us, to not be atheistic in our thoughts and patterns. It's so easy to begin to think that we have done, or I'm, I'm a good person, or I do good things, or I've done, look what I've done for them. Look how I've, oh, Lord, may we never be that person. May we be the one that says, thank you, God, for what I have what you've given me that I never had without you. For this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, may we not only take that day to be thankful, but beyond it, may we be thankful for everything. May we get up in the morning, thank you for life. May we go to bed at night and thank you for the day. May we thank you throughout the day for all the little things that show that you care for us. Because you have never seen your children forsaken. You care about us. May we be grateful. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen.